Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 84 of Unblocking Crypto. How great to see you again. Good to see you, bud. So this week is definitely one of those weeks where I think things have slowed down a little bit after the past couple of weeks, but um, there's still some interesting things happening. And I know we've talked a lot about the spot ETFs funds getting hopefully approved in the, at some point in the near future. An interesting thing that did just happen is ARK Invest and I think 21 Shares are two companies that just put in for spot Ethereum ETFs. So if Bitcoin can get a spot ETF now, apparently Ethereum is going to try to get one too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's happening with, with that and, and where it all goes. If you look at Ethereum, to be honest with you, it's kind of been one of the least liked digital assets by a lot of institutions lately too. So this is one of those, will it actually make a difference and do institutions want to own Ethereum or are they all kind of switching their plans to go after Bitcoin at some point in the near future? Yeah, I saw where SEC kicked that Bitcoin ETF down the road a little bit on the approvals that need to be made. And then the only other news I saw was Franklin Templeton added their name to the spot Bitcoin ETF list. So that's another $1.5 trillion in assets under management that's available to, to invest into spot Bitcoin ETFs once some of this becomes approved, whenever that is in the next probably four months. Yeah, and I think one of the big things that's changed with Ethereum here lately is they became inflationary again. We talked about it, uh, what was that, six, nine months ago, where they had a, a new EIP that changed almost their coin to deflationary based on the number of transactions that was happening. But those transa- transactions have gone down so much that it's now become inflationary and not deflationary again. Yeah. I'm not. I'm trying not to talk bad about all the non-Bitcoin digital assets. Um, <laughs> but when you're like, oh, my life savings is in Ethereum. I really believe it is the future of uh, digital whatever. Like, well, it's deflationary. It's inflationary. It's uh, well, transactions are down, so these are up. And, oh, they're going to make a massive change to the entire thing and now through the stake. So, if you want to add reasons why maybe. The, Ethereum ETF won't be as successful. Maybe it's because there's a lot of chain yanking that goes on there. Yeah. So from a macro perspective, something else that kind of caught my eye this past week that was intriguing was the U.S. consumer savings. If you look back in 2021, I think there was just over $2.1 trillion in consumer savings. And as of June of 23, we we're at $190 billion and going down by about $100 billion a month, So, which means that at this point there should be almost next to nothing if that's still the case. All these numbers kind of come out, take a little while to come out. So in the past, we've seen crypto kind of go up when there was a ton of cash influx in the stock market in general. Now, if consumer savings are pretty much down to zero or negative, I think the question is what's going to happen from a macro perspective at this point. Yeah, there's a couple of headwinds like yeah, that. There, I also saw that there was a $50 billion increase in student loan payments last month. So there's another $50 billion that goes out of everything else and goes into effectively nothing, debt payment for degrees or people that thought they were going to get degrees and dropped out. So that's another illiquidity piece. So we'll see. I know you and I have been 
huge fans of what El Salvador is doing too. And I think we just passed their two-year anniversary of their Bitcoin experiment, which is kind of exciting to see how that's going. And I mean, if you look at it, they've had some some pretty big things happening. I mean, their their travel has drastically increased from a tourism perspective, and then the investment has been very positive. Uh, they had some bonds that initially, I think everybody termed them junk bonds and with their Bitcoin, they were able to pay that off, and, and now they're rated much higher. But it's, on top of that, one of the other cool pieces for them is it went from one of the most dangerous countries in the world to probably one of the safest. And their president, what do you call him, a president or a dictator, whatever it is, he has a 91% approval rating, which is the highest of any country in the world. I mean, you look at Biden, and I think he's at 40%, and sometimes I think that's generous, right? So it's it's pretty impressive to see what's been happening over the past two years there. Yeah, I saw that that bond rating jumped like yeah, three rankings in a single rating, rating adjustment. So that's pretty good to see. And then one of the Middle East countries visited Bukele to talk about implementing Bitcoin or integrating Bitcoin into their sovereign fund. So like we talked about two years ago, you know, it's a domino that falls. It's probably going to hit another domino. You just don't know when and where. So we'll see. I've, a lot of Middle Eastern countries seem to be getting into Bitcoin or, or we're learning that they're mining Bitcoin or they're doing different activities and integrating Bitcoin in different ways. Yeah, the other cool thing that El Salvador is doing is they are bringing in a Bitcoin curriculum into the schools. So this is going to be kind of the first time that that's done to educate their general public for that. And they made it open source so other people can use it. So it, it sounds like Mexico is going to do a, a pilot for this in one of their states as well. Uh, but they're expecting that this becomes something that any country in the world can do and, and really educate their population on the benefits of Bitcoin. It's pretty impressive since the United States doesn't even do that for people in dollars. Yeah, that's a whole other issue to talk about. But uh, I know we've talked a lot about CDBCs here lately too, and I'm not sure if you kind of caught the Thailand government is planning to airdrop about $280 to all of their citizens. I think it's expected to grow their GDP about 5%, which is kind of a, a pretty big number. What they haven't done is told anybody what blockchain they're planning to use, whether it's going to be in a, their own private one or if it's they're going to use somebody else's. I mean, one of the, the big things that we're seeing in general is Lots of people have seen the benefits of blockchain and whether they use an existing technology already or they just kind of fork it and do their own version of it internally, that's kind of still to be determined. But there are some interesting caveats to that. We've talked about some of the issues with CDBCs and it sounds like one of the things they're going to do is this money will be good for six months and you can only use it within four miles or four, maybe four kilometers of their registered address. So kind of interesting that they're putting some restrictions on it. This is kind of what everybody thinks is their first test before they roll out their true CDBC. I say good. Uh, at least they put the restrictions on it on the first time out. Because if they just, hey, here's, here's $280, take it, do whatever you want to with it. People might really like this airdropped cur currency value, whatever. 
and now they're gonna be like, oh yeah, you have to use it in six months. You got to use it within ever, however many miles of your house. So at least people understand, oh, this is, this money comes with some real strings attached and the next money might come with real strings attached. And then eventually maybe my paycheck money will come with big strings attached. So whether it's good or bad or indifferent, things are just happening, but at least they're not trying to sneak in the back door by this doesn't even feel like a Trojan horse. This feels like the soldiers are riding on the outside of the Trojan horse. (laughs) Yeah. This is how it's going to be. Get used to it. If you want free money, we're going to put, we're going to make some restrictions on it for sure. So FTX has been in the news here lately. I'm sure if you're paying attention to crypto in general, you've seen some of the prices drop. And partly it sounds like a lot of that has to do with FTX holding just north of like $3.4 billion of digital assets. A third of that is Solana, which I think got a bad rap. And now it's becoming uh, something that a lot of of people do enjoy. Now that that third they hold represents about 16% of the circulating supply, which is a pretty good amount. And I, I think only about 560 million of it's Bitcoin. But it sounds like they've, they're about to get the green light, if they haven't gotten it already, to start selling some of those assets, to start to recoup uh, money to pay off some of their debtors. And that's why it, we are kind of seeing crypto start taking a dive um, from that perspective. But at the same time, what's also interesting is there are talks about an FTX 2.0, right? So they had, I think, 75 bidders do some due diligence, and now they're on their second version of their proposal and they have until the 24th of September to submit what they would do with FTX if they were able to win the bid on it. So, and that's only a couple weeks away. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes and what happens and who would actually still trust FTX if they restarted their entire exchange. I mean, FTX made such a big marketing push, FTX and they had their name everywhere, and everybody knew about it. They did everything they could do to get trust in their brand, and then they completely wiped out all of that trust and bankrupt multiple other country companies after they failed. Right? So I, I don't know how you could do it. it. It's not a small brand. It's not like BlockFi, where it, a small number of people got caught up in it. It didn't have a big name. Block, I, to my knowledge, didn't mm-hmm. advertise anywhere outside of crypto circles. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not ever going to use a BlockFi or BlockFi 2.0 again. I just finally sat down and transferred all of my, the assets that I had kind of clanking around in their, their yield generating, you know, savings accounts. I just transferred those out. So some, sometime between now and 90 days from now, those should hit my wallets. But if I, but why would anybody trust FTX? It was such a public failure and it's such a, just a total collapse. You know, BlockFi, to my knowledge, BlockFi, whatever that guy's name was, uh, it isn't going to jail. He, he's not under arrest. He wasn't doing illicit things. He just leveraged, leveraged things over the top and that collapsed everything. It wasn't, it's not a big fraud case. You know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the name and face recognition of SBF. So I feel like if, if they can restart FTX, anything's possible in crypto. Well, the Celsius founder just had all of his assets frozen and the new holding company that has bought it Fahrenheit is trying to put kind of a new board in place. I think right now it looks like the ex Algorand 
CEO is the guy that is planning on leading the the new Celsius 2.0, whatever that means. I mean, I know they have a lot of mining facilities and things like that. So, yeah, I don't think I would use Celsius again after all of that. <laughs> so, I guess maybe FTX thinks that maybe there's something else there that they could use and leverage. But it, it, yeah, I agree with you. It's they burned too many bridges at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like they had a great idea and they opened up. They defrauded and they used customer assets to buy off politicians. I mean, they just did a massive amount of things that are just bad ideas. So, like, kind of a, I'm not going to be convinced that they're reformed. That doesn't, I don't think that's, that's, that's not for me. Yeah. Well, I, I know I blamed kind of crypto prices going down because of this, but in reality, this is also September. And if you look at the history of Bitcoin, Bitcoin has yet to have a positive September in the history of Bitcoin. So I, I don't think there's any expectation that Bitcoin is finally going to have their first up month in September in 2023. So there is a, a lot of people calling for probably a 5 to 10% reduction in Bitcoin. I think that gets it down to somewhere in the 22,000 range. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But that being said, if you look at Bitcoin and, and what's going on, they just had the largest upward difficulty adjustment of 2023 happen to. So even during all this, there are a ton more miners coming online and making it more, they're making the network more difficult to try to keep that block time around 10 minutes. Yeah. So I just like in the last week, my chart hit a death cross. Um, in the the 250 day moving averages, so that's usually means prices coming down. I view it as you get one more buying opportunity before we hit this this massive bull run. It it might mean Bitcoin's the canary in the coal mine, and it and it's out in front, and it there's a recession coming and with liquidity problems, and all assets are going to decline. But September's a bad month, you know. We it just kind of ramped up from December through the summer, and now it's correcting. So one of the other interesting things that I have seen here lately, and it's kind of an inter intersection of uh, one of your favorite things and one of my favorite things, has been ZK rollups on Bitcoin. So I, I think to me, ZK rollups are kind of the future and we'll see a lot of that. And I know you're a huge fan of Bitcoin. What's crazy is I don't think anyone ever thought ZK rollups were even possible to do on Bitcoin, but because of ordinals, they're proving that it is possible. Now, I think in reality, it would be a lot better if they did a soft fork in the future of Bitcoin to truly enable it. But in the meantime, they can prove out using ordinals that ZK rollups works. So I, I don't know if it's really meant to compete with the Lightning Network, but one of the things that ZK rollups would do would really increase kind of the ability for my security and not knowing who's doing all the transactions, which uh, I think from a privacy perspective, some people would, would like. Yeah. I mean, that goes, yeah, I mean, that, you can do anything on Bitcoin that you can do on other cryptocurrencies. You just have to play the game. And so that's a little bit more technical than I am, but I know that there's a 10,000 geniuses out there working on stuff. And if it makes sense, they'll yeah, probably get figured out. Yeah, so speaking of other interesting use cases, we haven't really talked much about Filecoin on this podcast. But for those that aren't 
knowledgeable about it, Filecoin is giving you the ability pretty much to have a decentralized storage application where you can store things in the cloud on multiple nodes. And it, I mean, it competes with, say, the Google Cloud and, and Amazon Cloud as well. There was an Australian cardiac institute that now uses Filecoin to store about 137 terabits of, or, sorry, terabytes of information. And one of the reasons they said they do that is because it saves them a ton of money. So kind of the whole point of crypto for the most part has been eliminating these trusted third parties and kind of putting that back in the hands of the people. And this allows some of that revenue to kind of fall back into the common people running nodes, uh, which is exciting to see. Yeah, it's kind of uh, AI too, right? Eliminate some of these middlemen and rent-seeking type of jobs and reduce cost and friction so that things can go smooth. So that fits. Yeah. And I know we talked, man, it must have been a month ago, a month and a half ago about Ripple and their, after they won kind of the SEC, their push was they were going to start getting it a little aggressive on acquiring other companies. And they have recently announced they're going to acquire the crypto custodian, Fortress Trust, which kind of gives them the ability to be more of a do everything in this space. Unfortunately, I think they are kind of being the, or pushing that they want to be the main CDBC buyer type, picks and access type stuff for the world, right? But it's still, as long as they're continuing to invest and and doing things, there still is a public ledger on top of that is outside of ripple that people can utilize for other things as well yeah now that ripple is kind of emboldened by the judgment i'm curious to see kind of how wide open they go because they had two or three years there where it would be tough to get investment it'd be tough to do growth but you could just sit there and think about different things you could do so ripple getting into the cbdc world seems weird to me it seems like a counter move Uh, but they're kind of designed to be the corporate cryptocurrency. So that's, I guess it's not totally off brand for them to go that way. Yeah. Well, the other thing they still have to worry about, I think the SEC is now appealing the, the judgment in their case. I think that's happening any, any day now. So we'll see if that actually happens. The SEC hasn't really made a good case on, on any crypto company in the past. Nope. <laughs> and now nope. that they're running up against some big players that have money in their pockets to fight uh, and, and take this to the court. A lot of the courts are ruling in favor of the crypto companies, not in the SEC. Yeah, I was thinking about that. The, the rulings from the different departments of justice and, and judges seem to be in a sense. And so I, I like seeing that. And then on, on the other side, this, with, as far as common sense goes, the FASB ruling for the accounting for corporations. So corporations that have had that asset as an intangible asset, like a brand or a copyright. So essentially the lowest price that that asset is valued at, that's what they have to market on their on their financial statements. And that's how it hits there. Uh, for a public company, when you're looking at valuations, that's how it impacts their the value of their company. And so with Bitcoin, like MicroStrategy, MicroStrategy buys Bitcoin regardless of price. But as the price dips, they have to keep that Bitcoin price at its lowest value. Well, the FASB uh, 
committee came out and said that they're going to write a new rule that says digital assets should be marked at fair market value so that every quarterly or annual financial statement, the, the Bitcoin or whatever digital assets are on the balance sheet, they'll, you know, they'll pick a date. Here's the price. Here's the market price times the, the amount of crypto held. And that'll be the market value that goes into the balance sheet that goes into the calculation to figure out, all right, hey, we had massive gain this, this quarter. Some of it's because of our business enterprise. Some of it's because of our digital asset appreciation. So what this does is just makes it a lot easier for corporations to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. This is going to be kind of another spigot that allows more funds to flow in. There may be some cannibalism based on the ETF fund flow because it would be easy for corporations to just buy the spot ETF and treat it as a security. So it's not a 100% new cash flow stream into Bitcoin, but it does allow companies that want to custody their own Bitcoin to to do that. Uh, this starts in fiscal years ending in 2025, but companies can start earlier if they want to. And it's fairly narrow. It's only for digital assets that are on blockchains and that are fungible. So NFTs are out uh, stable coins are out, things like that, wrapped cryptocurrencies are out. So that's a kind of a big movement. It's a lot of common sense. So in line with the, the judgments for Ripple, the judgment for Grayscale and this, it's like, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe the, 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 the reasonable thing to do is invest in digital currencies, digital assets, and they'll be treated like they should be. And it's just a matter of time before the legacy people keep catch up. And somehow if you're a judge, you're able to understand this faster than if you're a regulator. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's, that was interesting too, and I don't know if you saw much about it, but Coinbase came out with their international expansion plan and their motto or theme, whatever you want to call it is go broad and go deep. And they did a lot of research into what, what made sense of where to go after? And I mean, if you look at it, a lot of the, the G20 nations are pretty positive on crypto regulations. So it makes sense on where Coinbase should kind of focus their time. What was pretty apparent is the U.S. is not one of those. And with the regulation issues coming out of the U.S., it is definitely been a question mark for Coinbase on, on what they do. And they're definitely diversifying into a lot of other locations to make sure that they're going to be in the right place at the right time. Now, that being said, one of the really cool things that I did see is from their research, they say there's about 420 million uh, crypto users, right? which is a, a decent amount, still kind of small compared to the uh, huge amount of people in the world. But one out of every 10 of those is actually in the U.S. So the U.S. is still a, a very big player in that space. And I think they're hoping that the SEC or whoever is going to be in charge of crypto in the U.S. is going to come around to all of this. But when that actually happens and what they'll have to do to be able to get there is, is still probably years away at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's an interesting yeah, thing. That's an interesting thing. If you're evaluating if you're the countries to go into. The countries like Venezuela, the African nations, they have a population have that needs population to, to get out of the local currency and into, into digital currencies 
if they can't get into the dollar. So small market value, more market cap, but you could have a huge number of people in those countries, you know, jumping on Coinbase and and getting out of local currency and into something that they can they can view it that has a chance of appreciating. But on the flip side, you know, look at countries that I mean, if you don't have the United States, you're not making much money, right? They might have 10% of the crypto user base, but it's got to be 50-60% of the value. So the, the Coinbase is already in the U.S., so maybe they they're feel like they're good enough. Uh, I mean, to me, I feel like Coinbase is in the lead, even with FTX and people liking FTX and, and FTX being in a way, way in front of advertising. I feel like Coinbase held its own throughout all that and didn't change. They didn't act like they were being under attack. They didn't start changing their their plans. They didn't start, you know, reacting to what FTX was doing. It felt like they kind of just did their thing. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. I think it's good news. Going broad is a, is good news because the the people that need this stuff more aren't the people that have the most money. And so if Coinbase starts to find ways to inexpensively enter new markets. You know, Jack Mallers in the Lightning Networking Strike, and they've kind of paved the way in that in some ways too. So, more options for those people to jump in. You know, it's the United States is a weird position. They've got the most money, but they also are kind of fighting this through regulatory means, or, or they're not being friendly. So, yeah, go after Europe first. And if the U.S. trails, the U.S. trails. So, but yeah, Coinbase has got to move forward. I mean, it's a company and it's in a fast moving market. You can't just sit back. Yeah, and, and based on what I was reading, it looks like they're going after some of the big players first. They're not going after the small African countries and Central America and stuff like that. I mean, it's the UK and Europe and right. Singapore right. and Hong Kong and Japan and UAE, right? Because they're all super strong in crypto already. And Coinbase wants to make sure they're kind of that, that main location. Shoot, there was, what was the other exchange that just... Went under and the guy got charged eleven thousand years. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, so I mean I think there's definitely an opportunity to bring in a trust a trusted exchange into a lot of these places because a lot of these countries have exchanges that are kind of a mess still. So I mean, it's it's exciting to see. It's of course disappointed that the US is not, I guess, looked favorably upon by all their research, but that's also not really a surprise based on everything we've been talking about for the past <laughs> couple of years at this point. Yeah. 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 Well, it'd be interesting yeah. to watch. Uh, they, to me, like you said, they're the most trusted name in, in crypto. I mean, Coinbase, I mean, it, even like Kraken didn't seem to have problems in this bear market where people were going out of business. They, but they just don't have the name that Coinbase does. So I think where they go, other companies will follow. Well, to me, like Kraken was the one where SEC sued or whatever, and they just said, "Oh, fine, here's a we'll pay the fine and get out, get this over with." Where Coinbase was like, "No, you're wrong. Let's fight this." Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's it's Coinbase is willing to kind of fight for all of this. There's not really another exchange out there that that isn't. Maybe uh, Binance is probably the other only other one that's willing to fight. And there's all kinds of stuff going on from a Binance perspective too. But what what's really cool about Coinbase is they created base, right? A, a layer two on top of Ethereum, and they think they can actually leverage that layer two to bring more of the ecosystem onto base, which impacts everybody even more if people are using the, the base 
on a network to do more and more applications on top of it. Yeah. 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 We'll see. That'll yeah, be, we'll that'll be, be, and it'll be interesting to yeah. if they get these other countries and the infrastructure built so that they have some action when, you know, assuming that the cycles work and that the next cycle is as big as the other ones and you can still get all that hype. You know, they'd be in a great position to collect and, and collect all those transaction fees and grow the business. Yeah. I agree. Well, cool. Well, that's all that I had on my end. Anything else that we were missing on your end? I think that's it, man. I think the biggest thing for me is probably one more buying opportunity to get into Bitcoin before things start to take off next year. Yeah, no, I agree. Probably, I mean, the September timeframe makes the most sense. (laughs) We'll see what happens, though. Awesome. Well, Hal, as always, great catching up, and we'll talk again next week. Appreciate it, Jay. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.